Hello, everybody. This is Fenton Lives With. It's a podcast about Fenton and the people that they live with, even if it's just for a couple weeks, like in Oahu, Hawaii, where I lived with Jeannie Johnston, my dad's cousin, who grew up in Hawaii. Uh, Actually, it was my great-grandfather who came to Hawaii from Scotland. And so a portion of my dad's family has lived in Hawaii ever since. And Jeannie is one of them. Jeannie has lived quite a life working on fishing boats in Alaska and research vessels and to now working at FEMA. She's also started the Pacific Tsunami Museum in Hilo, Hawaii, where she grew up. So without further ado, here is Jeannie and our conversation that we had in a hotel in Waikiki Beach. Here we go. What do we talk? Where do I start? Let's just start from the beginning. How about that? Uh, You want to talk about where you were born, uh, a little bit about your, your childhood and your parents, whatever you'd like to share. Okay. I was born in Hilo, Hawaii. In a long time ago, <laughs> 81 years ago, and um, my father was an airport manager for um, Pan American on Midway Island, and my mom's parents lived on the island of Hawaii in Hilo. So we went back, we, I was on, or my mom was on Midway, and then a few months before she had me, she moved back to her parents' house so that she could, there was no medical care on Midway Island. so. That's where I was born. Um, I we were there just two weeks, and we came to uh, Oahu on on one of the boats, the ferry boats they used to have, the Humaula, I think it was, and then we waited um, for space available on the Pan American um, on the China Clipper, and so we stayed at the um, Moana Hotel on the beach of Waikiki, which was very nice then and still nice now. And then um, we went out to Midway, where uh, we stayed for almost a year, a little less than a year. And um, the, apparently they knew that the war was coming in our direction because they had the females on Midway move off the island. That included the radio operators, love wife, my mother, and me. And uh, there were 20, I think 20,000 CBs moving in and they decided that we needed to leave. So we left and we came back to um, Oahu, and from here, Oahu, we went on to Alameda in California, because my father had um, gotten deployed into um, the Navy. They took the guys that worked out in the Pacific, and they put them in naval intelligence so that they could map the bathymetry of the ocean which hadn't been done at that time. And they, all the guys that worked for Pan Am and, and lived out on those islands where they, they were real watermen, so they dove and they, they swam and fished, and so they knew what the bathymetry looked like. And so they took them to Washington, D.C. and had them map the ocean around Midway and Wake and Guam and, and some of those islands out there. Um, so when we were in San Francisco, or in Alameda actually, um, my brother was born, David, and he's played a big part in my life. And uh, then the next momentous event was we, in approximately 1944, I think, we got on a Navy hospital ship and uh, went back to Hawaii, came back to Hawaii. There was no commercial travel at that time, and so I don't know how we got on the, that ship, but we did, along with a lot of other people that had been stuck in California that were from Hawaii too. And um, the only thing I remember about that voyage was that the bunk beds were three high. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was a really bad trip. It was very, very rough, and so we couldn't go outside. Well, then we came back, and we ended up in Hilo, at my grandparents' house in Keokaha, and. I don't remember too much. All we did was swim and play and and fish and and uh, just do kid stuff and have fun. 
So the next big event in my life was on um, April 1st, 1946, when a tsunami hit the Hawaiian Islands. It came from Scotch Cap in Alaska. It was big enough to create a 100-foot wave that went over the, the Coast Guard station up in Scotch Cap, and it took the entire station and five men that were working there, and all that was left was just the foundation. So it took approximately four hours and 20 minutes to get back or get across the ocean to Hilo. And um, it came in quietly. And we, I, I noticed, the first thing I noticed is there was debris in the yard. And then I called my brother to show him the debris and cars honking their horns outside. So we went out to see what was going on. And uh, there were, the water had gone into the ground and the red ants were coming out and they're biting my brother's feet. So he said, let's go in. So we went back in and then the next thing was um, we'd shut the windows because we saw the water was coming back in again. And my grandmother said, what are you doing? And we said, we're shutting the windows so the water doesn't come in. And she looked out in the backyard and saw that the water was about five feet high. So she ran and got my grandpa and Uncle Rod. And in the meantime, the water had come up and, and the car was under water and the horn was honking, which really annoyed Uncle Rod because he had a hangover. <laughs> and so he rushed out with a hammer in his hand. He dove under water too, and broke the horn so it stopped. Quite an event. <laughs> and we watched. So when the water started receding, he said, you have all have to leave the house. And my grandpa said, I'm not leaving my house. And grandma said, I'm not leaving him. And so they stayed and Uncle Rod took David and I out to the road where we met up with some neighbors. And we went back in the jungle and uh, ended up back there for several hours, actually till about two o'clock, I think, in the afternoon. And then we came back out again and um, it was just devastating. It looked like looked like one of those tornadoes that happens in the south. It was really, really terrible. And um, we had to walk over all the trees and stuff and houses. And anyway, we made it to where the military had dropped rafts for us to go across the pond, Lokoaka Pond. They took us to the Naval Air Station in Hilo, and we had to wait there. Uh, they put us in, they gave us something to eat, put us in rooms, and we had to wait for um, Uncle Rod to come pick us up because they weren't releasing people on their own. They wanted somebody to take care of them. How old were you during this time? Do you remember? I was six. You're six, yeah. yeah. Okay. And and um, how did, what sort of impact did that have on your life? How did it, how did it change? Well, um, right afterwards, I had, um, I had uh, nightmares, and my brother did too, according to my mother, but according to him, he didn't have any nightmares, mm. but I did. And um, I remembered that part. Um, we just, you know, in the day, they just cleaned up and went on with their lives, and everybody went back to work, and we never talked about it. My mom remarried, and we moved to Oahu, and nobody talked about it. And, and uh, once in a while, I'd ask her questions. So she'd say to me, somebody would drop by and she'd say, oh, this is somebody that was in the tsunami with you. Oh. And, um, but I don't remember who she was referring to. I, you know, I was young and I didn't really care. But years later, after my parents had died and, and everybody in the family older than me had, had passed, and then I wanted to find out. <laughs> what was going on. Yeah. So one of my cousins suggested I get a book by Dr. Walter Dudley called Tsunami. And I got the book and he and I eventually got together and ended up, we, we created the Pacific Tsunami Museum in Hilo. And that was in 1997. Still no, there. 1996. Yeah. Mm. yeah, and it's still there, yes. Mm -hmm. It certainly is. They're remodeling it right now. Great. Yeah. So, the, okay. So then going back to your childhood, you moved to Oahu. What was mm -hmm. that like um, after Hilo? Oh, it's my mom and I, and we lived in a little tiny place in, on Nihoa Avenue in on Oahu. And uh, this is before she got married. And 
um, shared the place with somebody else. And it was just she and I. David stayed with our grandparents, and I, I came with her because I was older, I guess. I don't know why. Or more trouble, <laughs> perhaps, than David. <laughs> so anyway, um, then she got married, and, and he had three kids, and she had two. And, you know, it was, it was a lot going on. He, um, after sixth grade, he wanted David and I to go to Punahou, which we did. And uh, so we went through school there, and then... So can you, can you describe what Punahou was like, or um, it is what it is? Uh, Punahou is a school that was created for the missionary kids. Oh, gosh, probably 100 and almost 200 years ago, something mm. like that. And because missionary families were sending their kids around the Horn or to, to get... Um, to get to Boston or to any way to get to the East Coast, and they decided that they'd they were going to start a school. So, Bernice Pawahi Bishop and her and her husband, uh, she gave she donated the land, and it was it was just a wonderful school. It was really good. I didn't appreciate it until really until after I got older. But yeah, well, just for context, that's also the school that Obama went to, yes. and now your your grandkid is My going there. Yeah. yeah, yeah, they are. <laughs> They are the fourth generation. Four, okay. Yeah, I think. Anyway, they. It's a lot. Yeah, the the last one is is graduating next month, or I think it's next month in June. Mm. Anyway, yeah, he'll, Nick will graduate in June, and then we'll see what happens next. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> so continue. You went to. You said college. Oh, then yes. Yes, I wanted to go to college in California, and my father would, wouldn't pay for it. He said, go to University of Hawaii and stay with your mom. So I said, okay. I went to University of Hawaii for about 10 minutes, <laughs> uh, maybe almost the whole semester. And it was far preferable to go body surfing at Makapu and Sandy Beach and party at night. So. Um, <laughs> That was the end of my college career until much later. <laughs> what was it appealing about the surfing versus the school? Oh my gosh. Like, describe that. Are you kidding? I, well, I mean, I understand, but. <laughs> <laughs> Everything. Really, yeah. Everything. <laughs> I didn't like the school. I didn't want to go to the, that school. You know, the Punahou education at that time was very good, and the University of Hawaii was not very good. Oh, so it was really boring, mm -hmm. and it was far more fun. But I did take my books to the beach when I went surfing. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Do you want to talk about some of the jobs that you've held since oh my dropping God. out of college? And, I'm not yeah. sure if I could even remember them all. So you just just what, whatever you remember. Okay. Well, the first job that I think the first job I ever had was working for KGMB. Radio station, which is still going here. I worked in the record library, and my job was to return the records that had been used the day before to the to the files, and take out the ones that they were going to need for the next day. So I I had that job for a while, and uh, then I worked in the pineapple cannery, and that was another very short-lived <laughs> job because. Um, I wasn't fast enough, and the women that were there that that worked there all the time wouldn't put up with my with my slowness, so I quit. <laughs> it was night shift. I worked the night shift because you made more money, um, but um, it it just it didn't suit me. <laughs> that's understandable. Yes. So then I got a job working down right down the street in Waikiki. Actually, it was an international marketplace, mm -hmm. and. There, there, the Buck family had a um, shop that sold uh, Hawaiian clothes to tourists, and I made a dollar fifteen cents an hour, hmm. <laughs> and saved my money. <laughs> and then I got invited to go to California with a bunch of people that were going, and all I wanted to do was get out of town. So I, w I was ready. So. Probably once a month, I'd call my mother and cry and say, send me a plane ticket against it. And then by the next day, I'd forget that I hated it there and something exciting would be happening. So, What, well, what <laughs> sort of exciting things? Well, I lived in an apartment building with flight attendants. We were stewardesses in those days. 
and I wanted to be a flight attendant, I wanted to be a stewardess, and so I went and I applied to United, and United didn't accept me. So I applied to Western Airlines, because they were, they were based in LA, they had a base in LA and Denver, and I didn't want to go to any place cold. cold. I, as a matter of fact, I didn't want to go to United, because they, they're in Chicago, I think, or they were then. Anyway, the hub was there. So United hired me, but at first, because I was so athletic, they had certain measurements for every body part, and my calves were too big because I beach walked every day. I walked miles on the beach, and so I had really big calves, and they said, you have to lose a half an inch in your calves. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, yes, this is true. Ridiculous. And, and so I quit walking for about two months, and I went back in. I'd accomplished that, so. Jeez. <laughs> yeah, truly. Yeah, they'd measure your shirt, your skirt length when you went before you went out the door. Yeah. It's aggressive. Wow. Yeah, it was amazing in, in the day. <laughs> yeah. So that was a pretty exciting job. I I went one time. I went to Seattle 150 times in a year. Hmm. We go we go up there and we go into the restaurant and eat lunch and then come back. And so it was like a nine to five job. Yeah. And then I met a guy and got married. We got married and uh, um, I could hide the fact that I was married. Stewardesses weren't supposed to be married right, then. Right. And I could hide that, you know, you just don't wear your ring. But you can't hide the fact you're pregnant. So when I got pregnant with my first son, or with my son, um, I then I quit the job. I had to. <laughs> gotcha. And then where were you at that time? I was in Los Angeles. Okay. I started down in Denver. They sent me to Denver. Mm. This is after I begged for L.A. Mm. They sent me to Denver, so every day I went in, every day I was in Denver that I wasn't flying, I went in and submitted my request for transfer. Mm. And so after six weeks of them seeing me every day come in, they figured we better transfer her. <laughs> <laughs> it was cold in Denver. Yeah. And people said to me in L.A., Oh, it's dry cold. That's and that's not cold. Well, you know what? When there's white stuff on the ground, yeah. it's cold. Coming from here, oh. yeah, <laughs> I'm cold. It's seventy. Yeah. You know, you got to be kidding me. This was it was terrible. So, I lived with a bunch of of stewardesses, and, and what I would do because they didn't like the heat up. So when mm. <laughs> when they were all out on flight and I was home, I would turn on my Hawaiian music full blast and turn the heat up to ninety degrees and sing and have a great time in my shorts and <laughs> make believe I was home. My most exciting job was working on the Bering Sea as a, as a first mate. Hmm. I actually started out as the cook. Hmm. And, and as the cook, you had to work on the back deck. And this was a dragger for, it was 75 foot desco, um, fiberglass hull. It was built for day fishing for shrimp in the Gulf of Mexico. I think that was 1984, 83. It is truly as bad as it looks on those crabbers. It is truly that bad. And if you can imagine, they're on a boat. Most of those guys are on a, on a boat that is 150 feet, and we were on a 75-foot boat. Yes. Wow. Very scary. Very scary. Yeah. So the most scary thing. In terms of the the waves and all that. Yeah. Is that what you mean? Yeah. Yeah. We went to visit another boat called the Golden Provider, which eventually went down with the whole crew. Not that year, but after that. And and my captain was friends with their captain, so we had gone over and we rafted up. They were they were out in the out in the. You know, further out than we usually go, so we rafted up to them or tied up to them, and we had dinner. And then, then we we went back and we just used what they call a sea anchor, to just kind of keep us stabilized so we could sleep out there. And then we were going to go to our fishing grounds in in the morning. And um, when I woke up, I could hear there was a locker on the back deck that was going kavump, and it slide this way, and you could hear the 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 fiberglass hull was making these noises that you just, it was like screaming noises. Oh my God. And my 
um, captain came and he said, get up, you're on watch. So I got up and I went and I was standing at the wheel and there's a green water, a green wave went over the top of the boat and hit the windshield. And I thought, this, this is it, you know. And then the boat went to the left and I looked, I could practically touch the water out the window. And I just said, I can't do this. So I went, I went in my room, I went to bed. I got in my bunk and I pulled up my covers and put a pillow over my head and said, go away. And he said, come out here. You know, you're on watch. And I said, no. And he said, you're fired. I said, good, take me home. <laughs> I want out of here. I had a little dog too that was there with me. Boat dog was his name. <laughs> Boat dog and I were quite scared. And I can remember lying in that bed. I, I was so scared. I was so terrified that I thought my heart was going to come out of my chest, like fly out. Mm. And because and everything was banging and, and that locker that was going back and forth did one final whoop and it was gone and took the whole side of the, you know, the whole railing and everything. I lay there and I just prayed because I just couldn't think of anything else to do. Yeah. <laughs> Made a lot of promises to God that what I would do and be and please let me get out of this one. And then I kind of had this vision in my mind of looking up at, like I was on a satellite looking down at the Bering Sea and I could see the Aleutian Islands. And this little, these little tiny dots that were the, were the ships or the boats on, on the Bering Sea. And what came to me is that it doesn't matter, it's okay, you know? Don't worry about what's gonna happen because outcome is gonna, anyway, whatever happens is, is okay. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of the feeling that I got. And then after that, I, I just kind of calmed down and I couldn't have, I have no idea of time, not even a clue. I don't know how long I was there, but eventually it stopped. And we were still out there out in the ocean. Mm -hmm. And uh, we had to go back in again, obviously, to fix some of the gear. But that was pretty scary. So when you went back in, was that it? Were you done? No. You kept working? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. How much longer I, did you stick with it? Oh, gosh. I was there from September to February. Okay. Yeah. And we used to, I remember that those those uh, dangerous catch guys, would they would go home for Christmas, and we couldn't do that. So we didn't have any money. We had all yeah, the money. Yeah. That was an interesting time in my life too, because I got back home. I'd never been depressed in my whole life, but I got back and I, I couldn't tell anybody what had happened because nobody really cared. They had nothing that they could relate to. I didn't know, except for the captain who who also was in Hawaii. Mm -hmm. He's the only guy I could talk to because nobody. You know, they'd gaze, oh, you tell them that story, and they go, yeah, sure. <laughs> okay, well, now it's different with, with the dangerous catch, or deadliest catch, because you can see what, you know, they film it. <laughs> but yeah. they didn't in those days. Yeah. And we weren't filming while it was going on. Oh. <laughs> you were no. trying to survive. <laughs> yeah. So I was looking for a job, and this was 1984, and I believe at that time the interest rates were like 25%, and there was no money to go around, and the businesses were in terrible shape, and so it was really hard to try and find a job. Somehow I met, um, I met somebody, and I ended up going up to Alaska in a cannery, which was also not my cup of tea, because they put me on the slime line, you know what that is? Removing all the guts. Is this fish yeah. canneries you're yeah. talking about? Yeah. yeah. And and it's cold. Yeah. And you know how I love being cold. I had these boots on and the thing was that if if you got so cold you couldn't feel, you got to go stand in this bucket that had hot water in it. Well, I spent a little too much time in the bucket with hot water and they fired me after one day. I was so happy. So <laughs> So I had to find another job, and I always wanted to work up in the North Slope, you know, the oil fields. I thought that would be a cool place to work, so. Why? Why do you think you Who knows? It was just, it sounded romantic, and 
and really fun. And so I did. I, I went and I tried to get a I tried to get a job there. And they said, Do you have any computer experience? And I said, No. And they said, Well, come back when you do. Huh. Or and they said, You can call in every day if we you know, but we need somebody with computer experience. I didn't even know how to get computer experience. So I had to rent a car from from Hertz and a, and it ran out of gas. And so I, I turned it in and said, something's wrong with this rental card because you know when they give you a car, it's full. Yeah. And so I said, the car doesn't work. I need another car. So <laughs> I knew I was on my last legs there. And I had to find something. So I got this brilliant idea. And I called the, I said to the lady, what kind of uh, computer do you have up there? She said, we have a Wang office manager, a Wang something or other. Anyway, that was the computer that they had at the time. They used in big, like, up on the slope. So <laughs> I called the computer company and I said, um, I work for CPRO, which was the company that I just got fired from. I said, I work from C for CPRO and um, we want to buy one of your computers or some of your computers. So I wondered if you could demonstrate it for me. He said, only if you can come over here within the next 30 minutes because I have to fly to Nome. I said, I'm there. So I went over there and he showed me how you turn it off and on. He showed me that, that you didn't have to, you know, I was used to this electric where you have to, every time you want to change, you know, you have to hit that. I don't know uh, what you're talking about. <laughs> I know you don't, and neither does anybody that's watching this. So it doesn't really matter. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> In the day, that it didn't automatically go back to the, it, you know, it didn't end here and go back there by itself. Oh, you're talking about like like the lines yes, of text. Yes. Oh, you could see. Yeah. You had to hit ah, this thing to make okay. it go back. Okay. Yeah, and they eliminated that step, but which I thought was really fabulous. And the, I found out what a floppy disk was and where you put it and how to turn it off and on. And he said, that's it, you're on your own. Mm -hmm. So I called the lady, it, it was Northwest um, Tech is the, doing the hiring for this slope. And I called her up and I said, well, I know how to use a computer now. <laughs> <laughs> so the next morning at nine o'clock, I was on a, on a flight flying up to a Prudhoe Bay to go to work for Ohio Construction Company. Mm. Wow. <laughs> and I lasted 13 months. People had money bet that on me because they didn't want to hire me because I'm from Hawaii and I don't like cold. And there the 13 month period there's some real cold in there. But yeah. they they know how to deal with it better up there, you know. You don't spend a lot of time out going getting into your car. I loved it though cuz I had a truck, I had use of this truck, and, and you park your, your truck out back when you came back. And I only, I only worked about probably 100 yards from where I, where I slept, where the construction camp was. So you'd park your car, and you'd plug it in, and in the night somebody came along and filled it up with gas, hmm. which I thought was a wonderful, I wish they'd do that nowadays. Yeah. But anyway, so it was almost full. Hmm. You never ran out of gas. And, and what sort of compute, computer work were you doing then? What was the well, I was working for the resident construction manager, so okay. it all had to do with with um, what things like, for instance, when one of the buildings would burn down, which would happen now and then. Yeah. Um, there, there's no water when it's when it's twenty below zero, so you can't put the fire out. It just burns to the ground. You just control the fire. Mm. So then they'd have to build something new or something and break. And so, so they had, we worked uh, 20, 24 hours, not 24. We worked 12 hours a day, uh, seven days a week, every day, 365 days a year. Mm. So what they would do is I'd come up for six weeks and I, I'd work, uh, you work every day, obviously, and, and do these 12 hour shifts. Which I kind of liked, and then and then you're off for three weeks. Hmm. So I would go either go back to Hawaii or go to Europe during that three weeks. Wow, very nice. And so whenever you went in the dining hall, people were going like, one guy came back from a from a race car event that he'd been in South America. Another guy had gone to India. Hmm. So you'd have all these great conversations with people hmm. that you worked with because they they paid you way too much money. Yeah, and you got to go everywhere. So.
Wow. Yeah. So what, why did you stop working there then? Well, 13 months was enough for me up there. Enough cold. Yeah. Yeah. It, well, it wasn't. It wasn't only the cold. It's you, you don't really have a life. It's pretty grueling. Yeah. It is. There's week. some people that work there all the time. Yeah. There are about five thousand people working up there when I was there. Oh wow. Yeah, but I'm glad I did it. I did it all the way through the summer when it's eighty degrees and mm-hmm. the sun doesn't set mm-hmm. to winter. That is just indescribably awful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. But I've had worse winters in in uh, in Dutch Harbor, Alaska, than up there. It was colder. Mm. The wet cold is colder. Mm-hmm. Even Seattle's colder sometimes. Mm. Right, right. So it was really true. Dry cold is better than wet cold. Mm. But Hawaii's better than either one. Oh, <laughs> undoubtedly. <laughs> uh, do you want to then talk about your current job um, for FEMA? Sure. But before I do, I want to tell you one of my favorite Go jobs. Go ahead, please. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, I was here in Honolulu, and, and I met this guy who had just come back from working on, on a research vessel. Mm-hmm. And, and he was a cook on a research vessel. And I said, gosh, that really sounds like a lot of fun. And he said, well, they're looking for, it was Columbia University's research vessel, the Robert D. Conrad. Mm-hmm. And he's, this guy says to me, well, they're looking for somebody to take my place there. And I said, well, I want to do it. And he said, okay, well, I'll give you a recommendation. And anyway, uh, three weeks later, I got on a plane and and I flew from Honolulu to Seattle to London to Lisbon and back across the Atlantic to uh, Recife, Brazil and got on the the Bobby D, we called it, (laughs) for a great adventure down in the South Atlantic doing different, um, we did one, one project where we went down by south of um, the the South Georgia Islands, and uh, we had to watch out for for the and it's probably worse now, but we had to look, watch out for the icebergs mm. out there, and um, it was so rough that that we had to strap everything down, and yet I slept with my foot on the wall so that I wouldn't fly out of my bed. <laughs> yeah, it was really something. Yeah, everything was on the deck. Everything. Pretty uh-huh. soon, all the bed clothes were down there. You just sleep down there, huh. on top of everything, so that nothing had hit you. Mm. <laughs> so, what were you cooking? Oh my gosh, not much in those. Not much during that time. Yeah. There were only a few brave souls. All the scientists were in their bunks, and they were not. They were sick. They weren't doing anything. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it would. You know, it, the cooking was hard. It was a lot of peanut butter sandwiches and oh, stuff okay, like that. Okay. Yeah, but we had some. It, it was really fun. I really enjoyed that. We we would go out to see, take these different science parties out to sea for about six weeks at a time, and then we'd go into a port. Like we went to Uruguay, which was my absolute favorite. I loved Uruguay, mm-hmm. and we went in and we'd have five days, and we had a certain amount of time. I had to buy all the for my job to buy all the food and and that. And once we got everything done, we could go out and see what was going on. And so we usually ended up with maybe two days, if you were lucky, because hmm. the captain always found something else for you to do. Hmm. But we did get a day or so off. So I, I was off there, well, in Recife and in Uruguay. And then we went to Rio de Janeiro, which was another amazing place. Hmm. So yeah, that was a fun job. But I worked on a, several different research vessels. I flew to Australia, to Sydney, and then from Sydney to Perth, and I got, in Fremantle, I got on the University of Hawaii's boat, and we were, we were taking it, um, we were bringing it back. There was just the, we just had the crew, and we took it, um, we went, we went from, from Fremantle up past Bali and I think Sulawesi, and we, we went, we went into the um, can't remember the sea up there where the pirates are. There are pirates up there oh. in Indonesia, you oh, know, yeah, that yeah, yeah. come out and take people in boats and stuff. Mm. And so um, we had, before we left, this guy gave us <laughs> instructions. We were going to, actually, we are going to the Philippines from, from Fremantle. But he said, um, first of all, there was one gun on board the boat, and it was in, it was in a locker. He said, you're better off without any guns. 
these guys know how to use guns and they'll kill you before you kill them. So that's not a good idea. And for the women, there were two of us females on, they said you cannot leave anything in your cabin that looks like you're female. Mm. So no underwear, but you can, you know, like a jeans and, and a t-shirt, uh, you know, mm. and anything that, that looked androgynous, it was fine. But you can you can leave anything else. No lipstick. Well, of course you don't wear lipstick, but you know what I mean. It, there was. Yeah. We just had to be sure that it didn't look like a woman was aboard, in case they they got on. So. <laughs> so would you have to hide then? Yeah, they were going to hide us in in the in okay. the uh, engine room. Oh. So, huh. sure enough, one night and the you know the boat is only it's like two feet off the off the ocean. It's mm. it's a research vessel, so they're always putting stuff overboard to yeah. you know and and it went about ten miles an hour with the wind behind it. So it was not speedy. So I didn't know it, but these guys came. They have those cigarette boats, you know, like on Miami Vice, those long skinny oh, yeah, speed yeah. boats. Yeah. yeah. These guys have, have some good equipment. Mm. And so they came up I didn't see this, I was asleep. They came up and they threw um, something on to grab onto the boat and they tied on and they came up in the back where we were all locked up and then fortunately the first mate was running the boat because the captain was usually drunk by that time of night so the first mate was always he he was there and we had a big crab light like they have on those on the crab boats and he turned it around and and shone it on these guys and for some reason they they decided to leave. I, I don't know why that was. Maybe they didn't see what they thought or thought it, that we were prepared to fight or who mm. knows what. Mm. But they left. So that's my pirate story. Okay. Yeah. Good. Narrowly avoided. Narrowly avoided death. Yes, once again. <laughs> <laughs> So when I was 59 years old, for some reason, I decided that I wanted to go back to school. Oh, I know what it was. My daughter was going to get her law degree, and I went up to visit her for um, her birthday. She was up, up in um, Spokane, Washington, going to Gonzaga University. And so I went up to visit her, and I went to a class with her, and I said, I could do this. And she said, well, why don't you go to law school? And I said, well, I have to go to my get my undergrad first, you know. She said, oh, that's easy, you know, you can you can probably do that. And yeah, she's, yeah, I said, oh, that's a good idea. So I came back and a friend of mine just happened over to my house. I said, what have you been doing? She said, I'm going to Phoenix University or University of Phoenix. And it's it was, um, they had, they were in class. I mean, it was, it was in-person classes. And you went to, I think it was every five weeks or something. Anyway, you could get your degree um, in a shorter period of time. Because, I, you know, like I said, I went for about 10 minutes. And I had 11 <laughs> credits, which is not a lot. And I had a D something average. So I had to, this lady said to me, you never go educationally bankrupt. So I had to get that D up enough so that... I could go to college, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, and I could go on to to get a master's. So I did. I I worked really hard. I did, and I graduated with honors with some really nice people. And then um, I applied to law school, and I got accepted in California, but I didn't get accepted at University of Hawaii. And Malia had 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 um, the cutest baby boy on the whole planet. Mm -hmm. Your um, daughter, Malia. Yes, yeah. she Baxter was born, and and mm -hmm. I couldn't leave town because he was too cute. Yeah. So, <laughs> I used to call him the Prince of Kailua. <laughs> I decided to stay here, and and uh, I had already, by that time, done a whole bunch of of interviews, tsunami survivor interviews, mm -hmm. and so, I ended up getting a master's in in uh, communication. I was. Uh, 63 when when I graduated Malia and I graduated together in the same uh, in this in the same group and we got on TV because we were the only mother daughter 
graduate students to graduate from the University of Hawaii together in the same in the same program. Wow! I mean, the same graduation ceremony. Yeah. Yeah. So we got to be on TV. <laughs> really cool. <laughs> yes, it was very cool. I've thought about going back for a PhD, but that's a long, hard process, and and. My brother says, said to me, I'll call you doctor and you don't have to go to back to school. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> good. Okay. So, okay, so you went, you got, you got your master's and then what? Happened? Okay, so then um, I went to this big family reunion up in Antigonish, Canada. I was there. And Brenton was there I too. Was, uh, I was, how old was I? 10 years old. It was 2005. You were not 6'2 then, I no. 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 No, no. Yes. <laughs> not yet. And 250 of our cousins yeah. came to this. And the amazing thing to me was how much you could see the family resemblance in most of the people there. I mean, you would have known we came from the same clan. It was really <laughs> interesting. It was fun. Yeah. So while I was up there, um, we also went to Newfoundland where my grandmother was born who would be your great-great-grandmother, I think. Yeah, she would, because she's your father's. Ah, it's too confusing for me. Anyway, she was either your great-grandmother or great-great-grandmother. Sure. <laughs> Trust, yeah. <laughs> so uh, she was born in Newfoundland, and we, David and I and a bunch of others wanted to go see where she was born, so we, we went there and had a fabulous time. Newfoundland was wonderful. Hmm. And then we came back, and I came with two other cousins, Mason cousins, Margie and Patty, and we were driving down the coast mm -hmm. to Boston. Um, actually, I was going to New York, and different people were getting off at different places, but we drove down the coast, and we mm -hmm. were in Mystic, New York, having lobster for lunch, and the phone rang, and it was somebody from the state of Hawaii Civil Defense saying, how would you like a job as a tsunami? Um, manager, tsunami planner. I said, I'm, I'm on it. Yeah. Okay. Tsunami planner. Yeah. Tsunami earthquake and lava flow planner for the state of Hawaii. Okay. Yeah. So my, all my hard work to get my degree actually did some good. Hmm. That's why they knew I. Somebody told them, and so they said, Oh, let's hire her. Yeah. So I went to work for three years for them. To say they were dysfunctional is putting it nicely. But I finally got to the point where it, it was not fun anymore. I loved the job, but I, there were a lot of things that didn't work for me. So um, I worked with FEMA all the time. And so the guy that's my boss right now was, was working for FEMA at the time. And he had come over to a meeting here in Hawaii that I was at. And I said, how can I get a job with FEMA? And he said, well, you can't get a job until you quit where you are. And uh, I wasn't quite ready to quit because Walt Dudley and I were doing tsunami survivor interviews and we were going to, at that time, we were going, this was in, oh, 2007. And so we were going to um, India to do some interviews. And then we, we went back, or 2006 we did the interviews, 2007 we went back and helped them to create a tsunami museum, a sister to the Pacific Tsunami Museum. Mm -hmm. After that, when I came back from the second trip, I quit and I applied to FEMA and they hired me as a reservist. So a reserve, what a reservist does is whenever there's a, there's a dis presidentially declared disaster, you go out, they, they call you out, and otherwise you're at home, right? <laughs> they mm -hmm. call you up and say, we need you in Texas or Oklahoma or somewhere. I did that for a few years. In 2012, they changed the, they made a change and the reservists became, or we were DAEs then, and then we became res reservists. Anyways, we, it was still the same type of position. It was intermittent. And so I wanted to f go work full time, so. Well, before that, you, so you were in New York when I was yeah, still in high school. I was. After Sandy. Yeah, it was 2014. It yeah. was two years after Sandy, and I worked in the long-term recovery office in New York. Yeah. Which was an experience that I never forget. It was, it was really fabulous. I got, to, I got to New York on, I think it was on um, January 9th, and it was like nine below zero. <laughs> and and I just went, oh, this is not going to last. 
<laughs> but I found out that my hotel was 60 feet from the subway stairs downstairs, okay. and and it was about maybe 80 feet to the door up from when I came up. Mm. So I thought, I can live with this. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was funny. I, it, was, it was really... <laughs> <laughs> Your dad invited me over for dinner. I said, you have got to be kidding me. Oh, you it's didn't want to go to Brooklyn? No. <laughs> then there was ice on outside. I said, you've got to be kidding. I can't do that. I said, I'll never forget this. He said, I cooked ratatouille. I'm thinking, mm, I'm not going outside. Uh, <laughs> oh, I'd love to, but... <laughs> yeah, but somehow you made it. You, was that a I did night? put it. Yes, it was yeah. a different time. Okay. And when the... When the weather got better, yeah, I, showed, okay. I, got, I showed up then. Just asked him <laughs> no to ice. pick you up. <laughs> I did. He wasn't interested. No, it's Manhattan. <laughs> you don't drive into Manhattan. Yeah. I right. get it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, I had a wonderful year in New York, and now I know why people like to live there. Well, I'm not one of them, but I sure. would not give up that year. It was fabulous. Great. So... Back to FEMA. You were, oh, yeah, you FEMA. Full-time. Right. I started yeah. working full-time, so they sent me to Seattle yeah. in 2016, and, and my brother let me stay at his house, which was nice. And um, so I, I worked there for two years, and then I heard that there's a job opening here in Hawaii. And mm -hmm. so I, I knew the people that were interviewing for it and and I was so they I knew that they knew me you know a lot of times if they know you it's better you have more of a chance of getting the job so I I thought well I'm going to try for this because usually it's just 100 200 names in a pile and they I don't know how they pick them mm -hmm. um, but anyway so I was hoping I could get this and I did nice. and that was so that was I came back home in 2018 and uh, they said, uh, how'd you like to go to Saipan in a week? And they said, ooh, okay, can I have another two weeks? <laughs> so I went to Saipan for four months. Where is that? Saipan is in the northern Marianas Islands, and it's out on the, on the China, Japan, on the Asian side of the Pacific. Hmm. It's eight hours flying time. From here? From, from Hawaii? Here, from Hawaii, oh. yeah. And whereas L.A. is five hours, mm. so that gives you some ideas. Three hours past L.A. Yeah, it's <laughs> far. Yeah, it is far. And it's another delightful island. It has, a, has um, the Chamorro culture that's, that's very loving and nice people. And they had the worst um, cyclone. They called them um, typhoons there. They had the worst, worst one in the history, I think, in in really of the world um, they they had I think it had 180 mile an hour sustained winds or something like that but it wow. just did some terrible damage so uh, it was presidentially declared and I went over and I worked in that and then so I've been working there ever since to so 18 19 20 21 three years I've been here mm. yeah I love it yeah yeah you're gonna keep working yeah yeah. For as long as you can. Absolutely. <laughs> nice. You'll have to tear me out of my chair. So do you have any questions for me? Yeah, I do. <laughs> I do. Yes. I want to know how you got into doing video. How uh, I got into it? Yeah, how did yeah. you? Yeah. Oh, that's a great question. Um, I started when I was a little kid. My dad used to have the, you know, the old VHS uh, tape recorder cameras, and I would take it from him when we go to visit my mom's family in Ireland, or we'd travel to dad's family in Omaha and Denver, and and um, I just got yeah, fascinated by just pointing it around, and I would talk, I would narrate what was going on, and sort of like. You know, they call it vlogging now, like video uh, blogging, basically. Um, it was an early form of that. And, and then I got into, when I got my own camera, I think it might have been a, uh, like, yeah, just like a little point and shoot. I would mostly take video and I would make little skits with my brother and I. And that turned into music videos and then we started a YouTube channel when YouTube came out. 
and I was just making all sorts of videos. I, I was creating computer tutorials, iPod, I think it was, I had an iPod Touch back then, iPod Touch tutorials, and um, yeah, I just fell in love with it. It was, it was uh, eventually turned the camera on my friends and made little short documentaries about them and yeah. carried it on as I went to college and beyond, so. That's cool. Yeah. Where would you like to go? If you could go anywhere in the world, where would that be? I was really, well, I was really excited to come here. Let's say that. I'll say that for, for sure. So I'm, I'm happy that I could, despite all the <laughs> restrictions and complications, testing that I had to go through. It was worth the rigor. Um, <laughs> I was hoping to go from here to Vietnam, though. I was actually starting to teach myself the Vietnamese language because I just um, find it just so, so beautiful and intriguing and... I just realized how little I know about Vietnam, but I knew I, I, that I love Vietnamese food, so that's a good start. <laughs> that helps. Yeah, that's a good start. <clears throat> I was living in Albuquerque, and I, there's a pretty sizable Vietnamese population, so, and a, a one day a, a Vietnamese man came up to me, and he didn't speak any English, and he started talking to me. He was like trying to tell me that he really liked my bike, because uh. he also had a bike. And then he was trying to tell me about his family, but I didn't understand a word he was saying. Yeah. I think he spoke a tiny bit of Spanish, so we tried that, but more or less it was just nothing <laughs> was computing. So yeah. uh, that's when I yeah that's when I picked up learn, learning about Viet, Vietnam and uh, the language and just in all my free time <laughs> sitting at home. Thank you for Th interviewing me and letting me interview you. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Jeannie, for sitting down with me here. This was yeah, really lovely. It was fun. Learned a lot. All right. <laughs> we'll wrap it up there. Okay. Cut. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Vinton Lives With. The music you heard in this episode is by Hawaiian guitarist Johnny Akamu. You can support him by buying his album on Bandcamp. And for more creations by Fintan, visit natniff.net. All right, till next time, catch y'all later.